from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. We've been going through uh, 1 Peter, and so uh, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 10. And it reads like this. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Um, <clears throat> grateful for you. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I, I, I say I'm grateful for you a lot, and I truly am. Like, I'm not being facetious. It's, um, there's not a day that goes by that I don't thank the Lord for you and for your encouragement to me and to my family, and I'm just super thankful and honored to be your pastor. I mean, we're here now, I guess, what, eight months now into this thing, which is kind of wild to think about. Um, but God has brought me such joy through you. So I'm super thankful um, to be able to come every week and open up God's Word with you every week. And yeah, just very, very much honored to do so. So last week, if you're with us, uh, we unpacked verses 1 through 3 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we looked at spiritual tastes, spiritual appetites, spiritual desires. What are those? Uh, how do we cultivate those for the purpose of growth in Christ Jesus? And not only are we born again into a new family, the family of God, but we are commanded and expected to grow from spiritual babes into maturity, grow in our faith, and become eventually spiritual adolescents who become spiritual adults, who then become spiritual grandparents, on and on and on, passing down the faith to those below us that's rooted in our new identity as God's people. And so here in our text for this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-10, through 10, Peter gives one of probably the strongest New Testament descriptions of the church. Peter loves a good metaphor, and so he shifts his metaphor from verses 2 and 3 in 1 Peter 2 of, of spiritual babes, spiritual newborns, into this metaphor now of, of living stones being built up into a spiritual building. So we're going to look at what that means to be a living stone, but I, I do want to pray for us one more time just to ask God to, uh, to give us eyes to see him this morning. So let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness through Emmanuel Church towards me personally, that I get to 
feel near to you when I'm near to the body. And that's a beautiful thing. It's the way it should be. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we look at your word, as we look at what it means to be the people of God with new identities, new markers that set us apart, I pray that you open up our eyes to see and believe and embrace and live in the truth of the gospel so that we may proclaim your excellencies to the nations. We love you, Lord, and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I'm, not a, I'm not a builder. Um, like, literal, I'm not a builder. Uh, in fact, I, um, probably, I should probably be more embarrassed by my lack of aptitude to handle uh, tools. Um, but I'm not. I don't care. Uh, but uh, I'm going to give you a true story this week of something that happened in my house that um, I think is very... Uh, <laughs> Just, just gives it's a good example of the fact that I'm just not good with my hands. Um, so we still have curtains to hang at my house. We've been in our house now since the beginning of August, and there's been work being done on it even since then. And one of the things we have left to do is hang curtains. And haven't done that yet. Cody came over a few weeks ago and helped us get started, you know, in the den and hung them so straight and perfect, and they looked awesome. And I'm I'm standing there like a moron, like I don't know what's going on. He's just hanging these curtains, right? Uh, we still have many more to go. And I thought to my, myself, well, it's, it's curtains. Like, I mean, I can do this. I'm a man. I can handle a hammer, a drill, whatever you use to hang curtains. See, I don't even know what that is. Um, I can hang these curtains, right? So I, I uh, texted Buster and Cody the other day uh, and asked if I could borrow a drill to hang my curtains with. And I, I swear to you, this is not a lie. It was within five minutes that Christine comes up to me, and I tell her what I had just done, and she literally says, and this is a direct quote, Austin, please don't do that. Uh, You are skilled in many things, and working with tools is not one of them. Please, just ask them if they can come and do it. That's a a literal quote. I, I promise you I'm not making that up. And you want, to, you want to have this feeling of just absolute demoralization, like as a human being, as a husband, as a man, it was in that moment for me. Um, but honestly, if I take a step back, I mean, what she said is true. Like, uh, it's true. I am embarrassingly inept at building things, at, at repairing things, at creating things to build. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I mean, I can watch all the YouTube videos you put in front of me in the world, and I will find a way to mess up or make something worse than it already was. It's just going to happen. But it truly does amaze me <clears throat> when people are able to create something out of raw materials. Uh, I'm blown away when I see Michelle Leach make pottery. Like, I'm blown away when I see Logan Gibbons make cakes. Like, I'm just floored when I hear of Nathan and Emma like redoing their house by themselves. I'm like, I can't even imagine what that is like. I just can't. It just blows me away. It's such a foreign concept to me to conceptualize something in my mind and then actually have the skill to use my hands to bring that into existence. Like, it's just beyond anything I can comprehend. But when we create, when we build, we're not only... uh, doing something, you know, obviously for ourselves, we're actually taking on a trait and a skill of our God. For he is a builder. He's a maker, right? I mean, he is the first creator. I mean, he is bringing ideas in his divine mind into existence, not with his hands, but with his word. He's creating things. 
And then Jesus, you know, the God-man, he comes onto the scene. He's born into a, a creating, building family, right? I mean, his dad was a carpenter. And so Jesus would have taken on the family business and picked up the hammer and become the, a custom furniture maker, whatever they built, right? And then all throughout his ministry, Jesus would talk about a different kind of building, a spiritual building. You know, he would say things like, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it again in three days. Or he told Peter, I tell you, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. It was this foreshadowing from Jesus that one day God would take up a type of spiritual construction, taking individuals who put their hope and their faith in Christ for their salvation and build them into a people. Now, Peter picks up this theme here in chapter 2, right here, our verses for this morning, 1 Peter. And he begins to call us living stones. This phrase, living stones. And each of us, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual structure, a spiritual house with one purpose, one purpose. And that purpose is worship. We exist now to worship. Verses 4 through 10 are tied together by our purpose, that we are saved and given a new identity to worship the risen Christ. That's why we're made, that's why we exist, that's why we're created. So let's take a look at these six verses, uh, let's unpack them together this morning. And the first thing we're going to see from verses 4 and 5 is that when we come to Christ, we are also coming to one another. When we come to Christ, we are coming to one another. Let's read it again, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, as you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, uh, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter, writing to this rejected, outcast people in the first century, he continues, as he has his entire letter, to root what is happening to these believers in the historical events of what happened to Jesus. Just as they are rejected by men, so Jesus was rejected by men. And just as they were chosen, or he was chosen and precious, so they too are chosen and precious in God's sight. Jesus understands their plight, for he walked their road first. They are chosen and precious, as I just said. And although by all outward appearances they live lives of dejection, the one whose opinion ultimately matters, God himself, has not rejected them. But rather he has called them out of this world and they are his treasured possession. And he calls Jesus here the the living stone, the living stone. He's the precursor of all the living stones that he refers to us as. The visual image Peter's conjuring up here is is of a stone that's been cut for a specific use, specific way, in the building of a a structure, but one that the builders have passed over and didn't see as fit to complete the building. It's like when you put together a puzzle, and vital to that construction of the puzzle is that one unique piece, right, that you need to finish out that puzzle or to work work in finishing out that puzzle. And the puzzle piece that you need is like sitting right there in front of you. But you pass it over and you try all these other puzzle pieces to fit that one piece that needs to go there. 
That's the picture Peter's drawing here. And then he says this, he says, Just as Christ is a living stone rejected by men, yet chosen and precious, so you too, like living stones, so again, you have Jesus, the first living stone. He'll go on to call Jesus the cornerstone of the building that the Lord is constructing. Jesus, as we come to faith in Him, He creates other living stones. He makes us into living stones. And we take on the character and the nature of the first living stone. And God, the builder, He takes these other living stones, you and I, And he begins to stack them on top of one another to construct this spiritual house, spiritual building. You know, when we're made into these living stones, we are not left alone. But we're joined together with other living stones. Each stone forming a portion of this spiritual house that that God is making. You know, Christianity is not an isolated faith. You're not saved to be by yourself. You know, when I was in college, I had this phrase that I would say all the time, and I'm so embarrassed that I said it, but I said, oh, I love Jesus, I just can't stand the church. Or I love Jesus, I just don't like to be around his people. Maybe you've said something like that. The church is full of frauds, full of hypocrites. I can do this thing on my own. I don't need the church to be a Christian. But that dichotomy of I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church is a false dichotomy that does not exist in the Bible. For when you come to Christ, you come to his people. Warts and all. Hypocrites and all. That's the family you're born into. And within the people of God, we have a role to play as a living stone. But what what does Peter mean when he talks about being built into a spiritual house? What does he mean? What is a spiritual house? What's he talking about? Well, three things. Three things Peter talks about or means when he talks about being a spiritual house. First, When we come to one another, we now constitute the dwelling place of God. When we come to one another, we now constitute, we are, the dwelling place of God. The church is not just simply a social organization where you get tax write-offs when you give. But it's the actual dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul, all throughout his letters, he refers to uh, the people of God, our bodies, as temples of the Holy Spirit, right? These dwelling places of God that when we come together, all these many dwelling places of God form together one great, great dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. This newly formed people of God are being built into a structure where God is among them and He dwells with them. Now keep in mind, the unifying theme in these six verses is worship. That's what brings together verse 4 all the way through verse 10. All these verses speak to the worship of God by His people. So think about that for a second, this idea of a spiritual house and the dwelling place of God. And let's take it back to to the Old Testament for just a second. The temple served a variety of functions. You know, the temple was the center of religious and cultural and political life in the nation of Israel. The temple was a place atonement was made on behalf of the people of God. The temple was the place worship happened on a regular basis. But by and large, what the temple of Israel signified in the Old Testament to the people of Israel and the nations was that God dwelled among his people. That God resided in the midst of his people. Israel built this temple in the midst of the people to declare that message to the nations that our God is one who is with us. He is among us. 
And then you come to the New Testament, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that temple. In Jesus, God dwelt. In Jesus, atonement was made. Through Jesus, we worship God. He is the new temple. That's one of the reasons John 1.14 is so significant. It says, and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, the word there is tabernacled among us. Set up residence among us. The presence of God was literally dwelling in Christ who was literally dwelling among his people. And then Jesus dies and he's resurrected and he ascends to the Father. But he sends the Holy Spirit back to the church. So this spiritual house we're being built into is a collective dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And we come together, the Spirit of God is among us. And there's another place to, to this, another piece to this, excuse me, with Peter's metaphor of living stones that I want us to take us back to as well. It's just as the people of God constitute this new temple, so too the people of God serve the purpose of what stones served in the Old Testament. So let's think about this for just a second. In the Old Testament, stones were used in worship for two things. They were used to offer sacrifices upon, to kill things upon. But second, stones were also visible reminders of ways God had worked in the past. When you think about when people of Israel crossed over the Jordan River, Joshua 3 and 4, what do they do? Stack stones, right? To remind the people of what God had done at the Jordan River, the miraculous ways that He had moved. When God would do something great or mighty, the response of His people was to construct a stone memorial, stack a bunch of stones and altar on top of one another so that whenever anyone would pass by, they would be reminded that God had done something miraculous, that He had moved. The stones told stories. The stones stirred up the remembrance of God's goodness among His people when people beheld them. And we are living stones, church. As stones, we're to remind one another of the good ways God has been kind to us. The ways God has been merciful to us. The ways God has done miraculous things among us. You know, we are visible and verbal reminders of God's faithfulness to us, to one another. A stack stones constituting this new structure, the spiritual house. Each of us has stories of God's goodness that need to be shared. You know, I, I pray that the Lord creates a culture here of expectation and of remembrance. That every time we gather together, when we come through those doors, or every time you gather with your GC on a weekly basis, you have stories, you're expecting to hear stories of God's kindness to you from other people who are ready to share, ready to share the ways God has been good to them. And each of those stories from us living stones get stacked on top of one another to constitute a spiritual house full of spiritual reminders that God does actually dwell among us. We need to always be reminding one another that God is at work among us. Because some of us need to hear it. Because we forget. 
All right, let's keep going. Point number two. <clears throat> not only are we coming to God to one, or excuse me, not only are we coming to one another to be the dwelling place of God, but we're also coming to one another to be active participants in the worship of God. We are now active participants in the worship of God. We are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's the phrase here, holy priesthood. You know, each of us constitutes not only the new temple where the Spirit of God dwells, but we're the new priestly order in the temple of God, the new spiritual house. Now, Peter's not talking here about anything involving like the official offices of priest or priestess or who can or cannot constitute leadership and X, Y, and Z. We could all go down that road. That's not what he's talking about, all right? But rather, what he is talking about is the functions of the priests in the Old Testament are now meant to be taken up by everyone with the new identity of living stone. Well, what are those functions? How are we to be priestly to one another on a daily basis? Well, first, priests were holy. Priests were holy. They were set apart. They were distinct. They were different. They were to be used for specific purposes. You know, Peter has been commanding us to be holy throughout this entire letter. All right, just go back and listen to previous sermons. Read chapter 1. The stakes are even higher now when we understand that our, we function as priests and priestesses to one another now. So we're called to be holy. Second, priests knew and taught the word. Priests knew and taught the word. They were responsible for the knowledge of the word in the body. They knew the law of the Lord. They knew the words of the Lord. And they took these words and they would teach them to the people. So each of us, as a set-apart priesthood, ought to bear the responsibility to know the Bible and to teach the Bible to one another. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be preaching from the lectern or teaching a class. Don't be freaked out. I'm not talking about that at all. But there are people in your life on a daily basis that you need to be pouring the word into. Whether it be your spouse, your children, co-workers, fill in the blank, GC, your DNA group. I mean, fill in the blank. Every, all throughout your walk of life, there are people you're to be teaching the word to, pouring out the word to, demonstrating the word to. But preceding teaching the word is knowledge of the word. You need to be in it yourself. Teach yourself. Let the Spirit of God teach you. So that's the second thing. Third, priests interceded for others. Priests interceded for others. You know, they were the ones pleading before the Lord on behalf of other people. We as a holy priest, so we ought to actively be engaged in praying for the needs of our body. Interceding for one another. Coming before the Lord with not just our needs, but other people's needs in this church. You know, as, as you submit prayer requests to us, I would love at some point in the near future to compile those prayer requests in a weekly email to send to you so that you can know needs in our church and how you can be praying for those needs in our church. So we need to specifically be praying for one another because that's the role of the priest. Fourth, priests led in worship. Priests led in worship. Now, that doesn't mean that each priest played an instrument. <laughs> um, or led from a stage or anything like that at all. That's what I'm talking about. But it does mean that as a holy priesthood, we participate in the worship gathering. We come ready to, to experience Christ as we sing the truth of Christ 
You know, through our singing, going back to that remembrance piece, we are reminding people of the truths of the gospel. So we need to participate, sing, be bold, raise your hands if you want to, be, you know, be as charismatic as you want to be, even if it makes us a little uncomfortable. Just be as charismatic as you want to be, all right? We can have a conversation later about it, but just do it in the moment, okay? Just do it. You know, the most precious instrument to be heard in the worship gathering is the human voice. The human voice. As a holy priesthood, this room should reverberate with the sound of living stones singing gospel truths that we each need to be reminded of every week from the lips of one another. Sing, participate in worship, priest-led in worship. And then third, kind of new category here, third, third way we come to one another. We come to offer up spiritual sacrifices come to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, why? Purpose clause. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Remember, we're talking about worship. All right? Not only do we constitute the place worship happens in the spiritual house, not only do we now make up those leading out in worship, on a weekly basis as priests and priestesses to one another. But we're also those bringing the sacrifices to be made every time we gather together as the people of God. Now, I'm not talking about sacrifices of atonement. Christ was that. Atonement has been made. We've been set free from sin. There's nothing left to offer God on behalf of our sin to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus did that once and for all time. It's done. But, as they did in the Old Testament, if you were to read through Leviticus and Numbers in particular, there were all kinds of sacrifices in addition to atoning sacrifices. Sacrifices of thanksgiving and of praise and of worship. But what are spiritual sacrifices? What are those things? What does the New Testament say about those things? What is Peter talking about? Well, I'll give you some right here. I'll give you some real quick. First, we offer up our bodies. We offer up our bodies. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This basically means that whatever you do in this life with your physical bodies, do it as an act of worship. From taking out the trash to working on your jobs, to eating and drinking. Offer it all up in your heart as a spiritual sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Offer it up. Second, we offer praise. Praise. talked about this a little bit when we were talking about worship. Offering worship as a priest. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Him, through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We already, uh, yeah, so everything that comes out of our lips, out of our mouths, should be pleasing to the Lord as a spiritual sacrifice. We should give God all the glory for all we do, acknowledging his name, his favor in our lives. Giving him thanks on a regular basis. Not taking for granted his kindness and his mercy and his grace. Be a grateful people, people full of gratitude, offering the Lord praise with our lips. 
Third, we extend care for one another. We care for one another. Literally, the next verse in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When there are needs in this body, we provide for one another. Not only financially, but we provide with our being emotionally present, provide by being physically present. We share all that we can share for the good of one another, for those sacrifices are pleasing to God. We can say more about that, but for the sake of time, we've got to keep going. Fourth, last example of a spiritual sacrifice. This is kind of the, this is kind of the catch-all bucket, all right? This is like everything else. Anything done in the name of Christ according to God's Word, all right? Anything done in the name of Christ according to God's Word. If we are living holy lives in accordance with God's Word and all He's commanded us and instructed us to do, if we are living holy lives because we're holy people with new identities, born again and now being built up into maturity, if we're living as these kinds of people, then we will live lives pleasing to God, offering up spiritual sacrifices through Christ Jesus for His glory. We offer up ourselves, church. We offer up ourselves for our Father through the precious blood of Christ has purchased us. We talked about this already. Purchased us with the very blood of His Son, Jesus. So we offer up ourselves. All right, so that was point number one. We're 25 minutes into the sermon. (laughs) So I'm going to make an executive decision here. And I actually thought about this even before I came in here because I knew this was going to take a little while. I'm going to skip verses 6 through 8, and we're going to bring those back when we get to chapter 4 because they fit into chapter 4 as well. All right? This is, my preaching professor would be so mad at me right now, so don't tell him. If you see Robert Smith Jr., don't tell him. I'm doing this, all right? But we're going to skip verses 6 through 8. We'll come back to those, but I want to give verses 9 and 10 their due, all right? So skip 6 through 8, come back later. But suffice to say, just briefly, verses 6 through 8, Peter begins a discussion Uh, switches it to those who reject Christ. So he's been talking about those who have trusted in Christ, entered into fellowship with Christ, born again, maturing in Christ, and then he switches it. And where Christ is the cornerstone to the spiritual house that that God is building, Christ is the cornerstone to those who reject him. He is a stumbling block. So it shifts. The purpose of the cornerstone shifts from foundation of a building to stumbling block for those who reject him. So we'll come back to that in chapter 4, all right? There's a place to bring it back. I looked. I'm prepared, all right? But we're going to come back to it in a few weeks, so hold on to that. But let's skip down to verses 9 and 10, all right? And let's read these verses together. Verses 9 and 10. Peter's coming out of this discussion of unbelievers in verse 8, and then he says this. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Remember, we exist to worship. We exist to worship. And in that vein, in that vein, last point here, we're set apart to proclaim the glories of our deliverer. We're set apart to proclaim the glories, to worship, our deliverer. Every single descriptor here in verses 9 and 10 was a descriptor of Israel in the Old Testament. 
and it's now being applied to the church. It's another example of how Peter is demonstrating this continuity between the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. That Christ is now forming a a new people, not simply from one ethnic tribe called Israel, but from all nations, tribes, tongues, and peoples. To proclaim for the purpose of proclamation, purpose of worship, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who brought us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. So I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you, show you through all of these descriptors how God is doing this. One, chosen race, chosen race. This phrase is taken from Isaiah chapter 43, where Isaiah is prophesying of a day when God brings his people back from exile. He says this in Isaiah 43, he says, But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. I will say to the north, give up. I will say to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And why is God bringing his people back? Why? Why? Verse 21, that they might declare my praise. We are chosen race that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Think about a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, the Lord is speaking, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all nations, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. Why? Isaiah 61, 6, you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers to our God. It's proclamation. It's praise. It's worship. We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. A people for his own possession. Tons of text. Tons of text. Let's pick Deuteronomy 26, 18 and 19. Deuteronomy 26, 18 and 19. The Lord has declared today that you are a people for His treasured possession. As He has promised you and that you are to keep all His commandments and that He will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that He has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as He has promised. We are a people of His own possession, church, that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. For once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. You may be familiar with the Old Testament story of Hosea. Hosea is a a living symbol, a historic image to communicate spiritual realities. Hosea... This picture of God is to marry Gomer, a prostitute, this picture of God's people. A people who had forsaken God, their husband. They'd gone after other lovers for their satisfaction, their fulfillment. Yet Hosea is called to continually pursue Gomer and allure her back to himself. And this metaphor of God coming after his people to woo them back to himself. 
there's this portion of Hosea chapter 1 where Hosea and Gomer have children. And God tells Hosea to name his children Loami, which means not my people, and Loruhama, which means not pitied or no mercy. Again, Hosea's life being a historical symbol of God's message. God is telling his people that he would no longer be merciful to them. That they would no longer be his people, for they're not acting like his people. But in Hosea 2, God just cannot help himself. He can't help not being merciful and compassionate. Cannot leave Israel to the fate that she deserved. So God woos his people back, and as Hosea goes back to Gomer, and as Hosea woos back Gomer, and God tells their children, He tells their children, I will have mercy on no mercy. On Lo Ruhama, I will have mercy on him. I'll have, I will call my people, he who is not my people. Lo and me will be no more for you will be my people. God has poured out upon us, church, mercy. He's created us for new identities, not rooted in past mistakes or failures. That might be how you define yourself, but in Christ Jesus, God has defined you. There's so much pressure in our culture to define ourselves, to create our own identities. God has identified you if you are in Christ Jesus. And it is my people. It is son of God, daughter of God. You don't have the the pressure to identify yourself anymore. You've been identified. And all your value and all your worth is found in the identity that has been given to you by God, your Father. Our identities are rooted in the person of God's Son, Jesus Christ. We are his people. He has shown us mercy. Jesus has fulfilled his word to Hosea and us by pouring out on us abundant mercy. Called us his own. You know, I, don't know, I don't know the mistakes you made in your past. I don't know them. I don't know everything you've done. You don't know everything I've done. I don't know the failures you have produced days, weeks, months, years ago. Maybe even last night. I don't know those things. I don't know what kind of baggage you carry around on a daily basis based off words spoken against you or actions performed against you or maybe actions you performed or words you spoke. I don't know those things. But in Christ, God now calls us His own. He is the one who forms us. He is the one who makes us. He is the one who changes us in Christ Jesus. And our identity is the ones who have received mercy. God is building us, church. He's building us upon the cornerstone of Christ Jesus into something beautiful. To something new. So may we always be ready to proclaim, church, to worship. To proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us. You and me out of darkness and into his marvelous light.